You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The Portland Trailblazers are an absolute mess. It is official. Book it, mark it, write it down. I don't know if they're going to get out of it or not, but we will find out. I am Aaron Fentress. Welcome to the Blazer Focused Podcast. I am joined this week from my main man, Aron Johannes, who has moved to Oregon from Seattle. When did you finally move? Because you were working, living in Seattle, working for us. When did that happen? Because no one cleared it by me. I did not get a request for permission to allow you into my state. Heads are going to roll, but when did you move to Oregon? I moved here about three weeks ago, almost a month now. You've been um, here a month? Sorry. I'm almost a month, essentially. Um, sorry, I guess maybe my paperwork for moving uh, didn't get to the <laughs> office. You know, we're still in a pandemic, so, you know, it does take delays for these types of things. But, you know, I just kind of took it upon myself to, to handle the business. Well, I, I, I'm joking. I'm glad you made it down to Portland. That means we can go have lunch someday or something, hang out. Where are you living? I am, uh, I'm not too far from actually the Moda Center, which is crazy. Um, I'm over by the, almost pretty much by the Slab Town area. Um, okay. So getting a, adjusted to Portland, I am quickly learning that although I've lived in Seattle for five years, it is not the same as Portland. I no. thought it would be similar, but I am quickly learning that that is not the case. So there are some I'm similarities, it, but a lot of differences. Yes, definitely. Okay. So uh, thanks for joining me on this podcast. I am in the middle of covering a team that is in a free fall. Um, I was joking at the Suns game that I needed that win almost as much as the Blazers did because it's just becoming a little bit of drudgery covering this team right now because it's pretty much the same thing night in and night out. They have lost seven straight now after losing last night to Memphis, and they've lost 10 out of 11, which is just mind-boggling to me. I, given whatever issues they've had, injuries, uh, poor shooting, bad defense, whatever, if you would have ever said to me they're going to lose 10 out of 11 during any stretch in the season, I would have been like, nah, just because if, as long as Lillard's playing in two of those 11, you think they might win those two. But he is playing horribly as well. Uh, there's just nothing going right for this team at all. And they're wasting a lot of home dates, which is really killing them. They were 10-1 and one at home, I believe, at one point, And they've lost a ton of home games against very beatable teams, beatable teams without. And some of them didn't have their stars, which made them beatable teams, but even some of them were beatable teams. If they had been at full strength and the Blazers still couldn't take care of business. Uh, what's been your impression of them? Uh, you know, the last 10 games, clearly Lillard missed five. McCollum's now missed five. They were 10 and eight, not too long ago, right before Thanksgiving, they were 10 and eight, went on a road trip starting with Sacramento. And since then, then have just been an absolute mess. One, I guess I'm asking you just your view of them from, you know, high above looking at them where they are. And two, can they pull out of this or is this just who they're going to be the rest of the season without a major trade? Well, they stink. I'll just say that. I think that's <laughs> okay, the first and thanks thing. Thanks for joining <laughs> the Blazer Focus podcast. We've something. Okay. <laughs> I, I think that's the first thing that I, I'll be honest, man, is I've been watching these games. It's just they stink right now. And I, I, it's hard for me to really see them really turning this around anytime soon. Maybe, you know, towards the All-Star break, maybe a little bit. But right now, man, it's it's hard. It just when you look at the games that they have lost, very winnable games, some of these, it's hard to see them really turning things around. And I think it's hard to do that, especially when you have a new head coach who was a first time head coach. And um, it's not necessarily somebody that has having, you know, a proven record of turning things around or knowing that knowing the right ways to navigate out of a something like this. Um, so I think right now, just flatly, the Blazers stink. And I don't know if they're going to really be able to kind of turn this around. I do hope that CJ comes back pretty soon. We, we you know, obviously yesterday was some encouraging news about him, but you know, if they can get him back and hopefully get some more reasonable wins up, 
that can help them a lot. Um, but right now, man, they stink. Hopefully they get a little bit better in these next few weeks, but it's just not looking very good right now. They're not looking like a fun or interesting team, which is hard to say, man. It's These losses have been really tough, and a lot of these games have just been really frustrating and tough to watch um, night in and night out. I've been trying to give them the benefit of the doubt along the way for a lot of different reasons. You know, one, Lillard beginning the season just horribly, right? And then he got good again, and they won the four in a row at home against Toronto, Chicago, Philly, and Denver. Then they go on the road, and he gets injured. He clearly wasn't healthy and losses at Golden State in Utah. So you figure, okay, well, he's not healthy. He's out for a little bit to get his abdomen, right? And then CJ goes down. So obviously with both those guys gone, you're going to lose, right? So they played two games without them, without both of them, well, three total. Uh, no, two, sorry. After McCollum went down against Boston, <clears throat> and they lost the, the Clippers and Golden State, 102 90 to the Clippers and 104 94 to Golden State. Both those games showed as good a defensive effort as they've given all season. Like the fact they, they held Clippers to 102 and held the Warriors to 104 on the road was very impressive. And that group of players played aggressive defense. So you think, okay, well, you know, they get some offensive firepower back. You got Minnesota coming in, you got Booker maybe not playing for Phoenix, then you got Memphis. Morant might still be out. That's a good chance to win two out of three. And then they go out and lose all three. They were close games for the most part. But you just saw how the dysfunction of this team in many different areas, plus Lillard playing poorly again, has just rendered them a team that just can't close. They can't start. They can't, they can't just do anything well enough to pull out a victory in the NBA. So now, now the excuse can be, well, Lillard's still trying to get back into game shape, and they don't have CJ. But then when a team like Memphis rolls in without Morant, and they've won 9 out of 10 without their best player, and the Blazers can't seem to function if one of Dame or CJ are out at all, it just shows you the difference between where the Blazers are and where another team that I don't think on paper both teams, I think they're pretty comparable – but how they're able to play without their star is incredible. And so I asked Billups last night, I said, you know, hey, you've had two, your two stars miss games, and they've overlapped on a couple of those games. But this other team here lost their star for nine, for 10 games. And right when he went out, I think they lost a couple right before he went out, they've won nine out of 10. Like, what's the difference? Is it just that they're more physical? Because Billups had mentioned Memphis's physicality before that. And he just kind of said that they play – the game the right way like they, they play hard they're physical they speed you up they're great in transition uh they run their plays crisply with efficiency and uh purpose and these are all the things the blazers are not the blazers are not very physical they don't run their offense very crisply at all um they they're, they're not a very physical team like there's a funny moment in that game where Nurkic took it in strong against somebody and scored and then stood over the guy. Did you, I don't know if you watched the game closely enough last night. He stood over the yeah. guy like he was Muhammad Ali standing over yeah. Liston. And I like nudged Jason Quick of the Athletic who I sit by and I go, what is he doing? And I, then my son texted me about it, my older son. <laughs> I'm like, what? like Nurkic is standing over the guy like he just beasted him. And it's like, dude, you, really? You guys, one, they were losing at the time. I, I'm almost positive. But it was just a weird look because you're not a very physical team. Physical teams who are bigger and get after you just totally destroy your offense because you're relying on so many small players. So I just I just worry now that losing these home games like they are, they've lost, and I'm rambling here for give me a minute, I'll come back to you. They've lost six out of seven at home after going ten and one at home. And these are all very winnable games that they've lost at home, except you can maybe say uh the night they lost to the Clippers without Damon CJ. Okay, probably probably weren't gonna win that one. But to lose all of those knowing that down the road there's a ton of road games coming. We'll talk about that more a little bit later. This is just disaster. Like it's it's they're piling up and I don't I, I can't even tell looking ahead when they could possibly get back to five hundred. Even if they turn things around, it's gonna take forever. So I'm kind of with you. I'm not going to say they stink because I cover them. I'm going to be nicer than that and say they just have a lot of issues they need to figure out and that it's possible they can figure them out. But things are bad around. They're bad. Well, you could be objective by saying they stink. If they stink, they stink. Like, that's fine. I don't think you're saying, like, they're the worst team in the history of the NBA. But if a team stinks, they stink. Like, I think that's fine. That's objective. Well, and also another, I have a, another follow up question to you as well. Do you think them being 
you know, when you look at Memphis, for example, and them being able to withstand John Moran being out, do you think them struggling the way that they are right now is more of a product of the roster or inexperienced coaching right now with Chauncey Billups and just being his first year and just kind of trying to figure things out to not being able to ride through what they're going through right now? Right. So heading into the Memphis game, they were 11 and 17. So through 28 games. Last year, they were. 18 and 10 through 28 games. And they had already lost Nurkic and um, CJ. And Dane was carrying him. And for me, that's the biggest thing. The defense is still bad. We get that. And I think it's safe to say that this group is just not going to be very good defensively, at least not consistently, because they just, you know, you're playing three guards and only one plays good defense. Dame has improved his defense this year, yes, but still, he's not someone who's going to, you know, be be a plus defender. I don't think ever, and neither really a CJ because they're just they're just too small, and, and especially in crunch time when other teams are longer and uh, more athletic, they're just liabilities in a lot of different ways. Anyway, so the defense is still bad. You do have a rookie coach that is that is a deal. You've had some injuries, etc. But the different the number one difference between last year and this year is Dame. At this point last year, people were talking about Dame as being the front runner for the MVP. He was killing it. I think, I think he already had 17 games of 30 points or more. He was shooting well over 40%, shooting right around 38, 39% on threes. He had several games where he was closing too. If a game was close, he was closing it. Like he was, it was locked down him. He was going to make a great play in one way or another to get it done. And this year it's the exact opposite. He, he's playing poorly and he's not closing. So in his three games back, since he took the cortisone shot, he's 22 of 68. That's like 31% from the field. 13 of 31. Nice. 13 of 31 on threes, which is not – I think it's uh, I think it's more than 13 31. Anyway, he's not shooting well from threes. He had a decent night from threes the other night. But uh, on the season, he's, he's – or in the stretch, he's under 30% still. Not, But not 13 for 31 is wrong. I have to look that up. But anyway, he's averaging 25 points per game, which wouldn't be bad, but the efficiency rate is just not there. Like he's, he's just not that good. He's a liability on much because he's shooting so much. He was 11 for 31 – against um, Phoenix the other night. The other problem is in closeout situations, he had a chance to put the team up by three with 36 seconds left against Phoenix and front-rimmed an open three in which he kind of didn't really need to fade on. He did. And then he had the ball when it was 102-102 with seven seconds left, and he comes up the court and had no idea what he was trying to do. Like he went right on Paul, then he got Crowder, and he tried to go around Crowder, and then he forced up, tried to look like he was going to force up a shot but lost the ball and ended up being a turnover. It was like, normally that's Dame time, right? Seven seconds left. I got the ball in a tie game. It's Dame right. time, right? Everyone was tapping their wrist. But no, it was like turnover time. It was Fentry. He looked like me. He looked exactly how I, and I'm trying to be mean to him. I don't want this to get back to him. But that, it looked exactly what like I would look like. Like I would run around the court. Like I didn't know what to do when I turned it over. And it was just shocking. It was like, whoa, you didn't get a shot off, man, or even make a pass. So, and then in overtime, you know, he couldn't make clutch shots then either. And then last night, same thing with Memphis. They're up. 10 in the, in the third, looking pretty good, 78, 68. And next thing you know, Memphis just destroys them on a, on a stretch in which they outscored them 40 to 14 to lead by 12, uh, midway through the fourth. And Dame was powerless against it. And those are the moments where he stops those runs. He makes a play. He does something special. So for me, everything that's wrong with this team right now boils down to the fact that your superstar is not even playing average. He's playing below average. So he's dragging you down. Not that they would be better off without him because the rest of the team obviously functions better just as a unit when he's on the floor, but he's not giving you plus product productivity. He's giving you negative productivity. And that's enough to flip an 18-10 to an 11-17 just by him not playing well. Right. Nothing to add? You're good with that? Oh no! (laughs) You're in full. That's right. You said they stink. You're in full agreement. Okay. So, (laughs) you know, we've covered Lillard's struggles. We know we know that's that's all about, and that's that's clearly a killer for them. Um, I want to touch back on the schedule situation real quick because this, you know, I asked Billups after the Minnesota game. I said, you know, these losses are piling up. You're five under for the first time. You know, is this? a big concern. Plus you're losing these home games and road games coming up in the future. And he said more, he's more concerned right now. It's just getting healthy than worrying about the schedule and worrying about, about those types of things. But you know, as you go now, you're now you're seven games under, you got Charlotte coming in a team that's beaten you already. They're above 500 LaMelo ball might play in that game, but heck the strategy might be now 
don't play one of your best players because you're going to, you know, th- that might be the key to beating Portland. And I'm not even joking. Then you go to Memphis, which I can't see them winning that game. I think Morant will be back. You should beat the Pelicans. Okay. Then you come home for three more home games, but it's Brooklyn, Dallas, and Utah. All extremely losable games as long as the stars on the, uh, for those teams are healthy. Then you go to Lakers, very losable. Then you come home for a nice stretch, Atlanta, Miami, Cleveland, Sacramento. So as you can see, there's still a ton of home games coming up where they have chances to get some wins. And if they don't pick up wins in the majority of those games, then I think they're going to free fall out of this thing and into a position where you start planning for the lottery. Because starting January 13th, they have a six-game road trip, road trip, come back for two, then go back out for four. So that means you have, do the math on that, what is that? Uh, 10 out of 12 on the road. Let's say, let's say they're, yeah, let's say that, let's say they go 500 from here until then. They're seven under. What are they going to be when they come back from that 12 game stretch? And they have games at Denver, Miami, Boston, uh, Chicago, the Lakers, home with Dallas was going to be tough. They just lost to Minnesota at home. So there's a ton of losable games. They could end that stretch going into February. They could easily be 11 games, 12 games under, if not more, if they don't. That, that's assuming they go 500 between now and the start of that run. If you're 12 games under 500 come February 4th with the trade deadline being February 10th. Fire sale. Right? Like, <laughs> Those, right? Those phones, that phone line is going to be jumping. Believe exactly. that. <laughs> exactly. So right now they're trying to make moves. And we're going to get to this a little bit, little bit later. They're trying to make moves to improve. But maybe if this continues the way it's going, at that point, you're trying to make moves to acquire assets, get younger, move some guys. Uh, and then, and that's where I think Dame Watch starts because Lillard's saying yeah. he doesn't want to be traded. He doesn't want to be traded. He doesn't want to be traded. And I believe he doesn't. He wants them to go out and make major moves, which would make this team a contender. But if they can't do that between now and free agency next summer, then to me, there's no reason to continue on with Lillard because right. A, you know you can't contend with him. B, he's going to know you guys can't contend with him. He wants to win a championship. It's best for both parties to just separate. But if you know you can't get anything done this year and you're free-falling as it is, do you even consider pulling the trigger on trading Lillard by the trade deadline and just completely starting over, completely going to crap. And then now you can get maybe a, a top five pick as well as whatever assets you get for him. So before we get more to the trade thing, I just want to ask you, do you think there's any chance the Blazers can pull out of this, can right the ship, get CJ back, fine tune some things to the point where they can avoid com- complete disaster with the, all of those road games losing, a looming, I should say. Yeah, I think it's possible. I think really, I, I think it's, I think it's possible for them to to rack up some wins. I'm not very optimistic, um, but I do think it is possible for them to get a little bit better. I think Dame, what we're seeing right now from Dame is something that, you know, the shooting slump that he's in and the struggles that he's had, um, it's not something that we've really commonly seen in his career. Um, so I, I do think that is something that he can get out of, and it's something that I don't think is going to be, hopefully not prolonged throughout the entire season. Um, and I do think having CJ back uh, will help them as well. And so I, I don't necessarily think they're going to go on some crazy run, but I do think that they could rack up some wins to at least be a decent record and to at least move somewhat up in the standings and be reasonable and not be, you know, towards the bottom of the entire league and things like that. Um, so I think it's possible for them to rack up some wins. And I do think it is possible for them to at least be in a more manageable situation than where they are now, where they are just, rocking up these L's every single night. Um, the other thing I wanted to at least mention too about the, the Dame thing is I know that Dame has said multiple times, of course, that, you know, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to uh, request a trade and things like that. But there's also the fact of this, like, I know Dame doesn't want to be the one to say that, you know, he wants to trade, but there is of course still the possibility that the Blazers don't necessarily feel that same way and will be the ones that want to make that trade, right? Like I think Dame has said over and over, he doesn't want to be traded. He's not going to request a trade, but there's still the possibility of course, that the Blazers themselves are thinking something totally different. They might be the ones to actually do that too. Um, so I do think, you know, once the trade deadline gets closer, it is going to be Dame time in terms of speculation, rumors about, you know, a trade again and things like that. I think, it's only going to heat up even more. And it's crazy because, I mean, that's been going on all this season. It was going all over the summer, but it's going to only intensify if these losses continue to rack up and they do not make any more progress 
around February, especially if they're struggling and bottom of the Western Conference and they're just not going anywhere, they're going to be in a tough situation. And I think that we're going to start to hear those rumblings again. I don't think I don't expect anything to happen, but I think the conversations are going to start back up. Exactly. So back to that stat I was putting out there. Dame's 13 of 41 on threes, which is 31%, which is not atrocious, but it's not good and be well below his norm. But at least at least he's back over 30 during that stretch, whereas for most of the season, I think for the season, he's still under 30. Uh, but yeah, for, for them to start getting wins again, he has to perform well. He has to get back to what he was doing right before that road trip and when he uh, re-aggravated his, his abdomen, if they're going to have any chance of doing that. I think what's going to happen franchise-wise is I think if it was up to the franchise and any trade uh, proposal that Joe Cronin would come up with, the interim GM that might involve Dave and have to go through ownership, and I just don't believe ownership would allow it, and I don't believe Cronin's even going to entertain anything. There's already reports out there that the Blazers have told teams that they're not trading Lillard. So I, I think if anything, the Blazers would err on the side of waiting too long to trade him. I think they're going to do everything they can to build a team around him either now or in the summer. Um, but if they don't, I think Lillard that's, by next summer looks around and says, okay, we have zero chance of contending, zero. Right. I need to go somewhere now. And I'm not going to publicly say it. I'm just going to tell you guys, and then hopefully you guys will just go do it and make it sound like almost a franchise <laughs> decision or something. <laughs> and I'm totally pontificating on that, but to me, the summer is the the, the watershed. Like you have to, you have to either have a contending caliber team or let Dame free Damian Lillard. Just free him. Just let him go because he's only had three or four prime years left. Plus, he you know he allegedly wants an extension. Um, after this season, he'll have two years of team control, and he has a player option anyway. So he's infinitely going to be more tradable with two years of control than he would be with one. Uh, so, and then do you want to give him an extension? Do you want to be paying him $54 million when he's 35 or older? I don't. I don't think that makes any sense at all for any franchise, really, unless you're trying to win a championship at that moment. So I think, I think we're hitting that point. Um, and it's, I just feel like sadness in Portland is, is almost assured unless they can make a big trade or turn things around and or turn things around dramatically in the next couple of, of months. I, I, I think this summer is going to be, it's going to be rough. I think it's going to be, if, if nothing happens before then, I think this summer is really going to be a big change um, for Portland, which, I mean, a lot of people thought that that was going to happen last off season. Frankly, I mean, people thought, you know, a big change to the roster is going to come a long time before this when Neil was general manager. But, um, but I think this, this is going to be, I think the summer, the pivotal summer that either, you know, changes, either completely changes the course of the franchise for the future or, um, either way, regardless, this summer is big for them and we are expecting something to happen. And I think that this is going to be the time where, He's going to, Dame's going to look at the situation. He's going to say, look, I've, I've gave everything this, that I can. Um, and I think he's going to look at the roster at that time. And I think the team's also at that point going to be like, hey, we don't want to give him an extension or um, decide what they need to do. But this summer is going to be pivotal regardless. You are listening to the Blazer Focus podcast. We'll be right back after a short break. So it is trade season. Um, December 15th, which was Wednesday, was when players who were signed in the summer, they can now be traded because you can't just sign dudes and then just get rid of them. So they have a date that comes and goes. I wish that was possible, can... by the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that has happened now. So all players, you know, like McCollum, excuse me, not McCollum, uh, Powell, who was re signed in the offseason, he's now eligible to be traded. As well as the uh, veteran minimum guys they signed uh, in the summer. So, this of course has opened up massive trade speculation across the NBA. The Blazers have an interim GM, and it looks like they're not quick to pull the trigger on trying to find a permanent one. I think they're giving him a shot to be the, the, the permanent GM. I think he has a great shot to be that because he's been there for 15 years. He's very, very well liked, very well respected within the building. I don't see a reason to try and go out and get some hot shot GM. It's funny when you see people, you know, I can see coaches. Everyone wants, everyone wants a hot shot coach, 
When you start talking about hotshot GMs, who are you talking about? Like the, the last 15 years, if not ever, really, when I, I shouldn't say that ever, there's been some good GMs, but the championship teams of the last 15 years, for the most part, have been put together because players have put them together. And the GM is just there, right? Like, hey, Pat Riley, LeBron wants to come to Miami. Oh, okay. Is Pat Riley a genius? No. The Lakers the Laker situation. Hey, LeBron wants to come to LA. Oh, really? Are you a genius? No. And then you trade some assets for Anthony Davis? Again, genius? No. So the, the idea that there's these hot shot GMs out there, they're going to make you a contender in the NBA, it's just lunacy to me. Like, I mean, the only, now, you, now you're probably sitting there waiting going, what about my Bucks? The Bucks drafted Giannis and they traded for Middleton. Those were two brilliant moves. I still think they got lucky because the Nets were injured. But that is a guy where he went out and he had a middle round pick, or excuse me, a mid, a mid first round pick and got Giannis out of it. Like that's huge. That's one of the best picks ever. Well, also and, the the, the honest pick, the honest pick was also by John Hammond versus John. Horst. Oh, that was a different GM. Yeah, John Hammond oh, okay. drafted Giannis, and I believe Hammond also. Yeah, Hammond also did the Chris Middleton trade too. Um, but yeah, oh, Hammond so, okay. was all Hammond. I mean, it's crazy because John Hammond for years was always just taking rare prospects from guys like um, just guys that you would just never really expect. And Giannis was another one of them, and obviously it turned out very well. But John Hammond, man, he. And he struck gold, he struck gold with that one. Um, and he's been in, I think, I believe he's still in Orlando, which is surprising to me how long he's been there, but. Okay. Yeah, so, he, so uh, got, yeah. So, so then maybe he's the best true GM of the last 15 years because everyone else <laughs> acquired talent in a way that doesn't really require a good GM to win championships other than Golden State. But even Golden State, they tried to trade Steph Curry, right? And, and they didn't do anything to get Durant. Durant just showed up and said, Hey, I want to jump the bandwagon, but they did win one before that. So you give them credit. I'm not saying you don't give them credit, but that guy's not coming to Portland, right? So scratch him. So it's one thing to say, I want a hot shot somebody, but is that person even plausible? So the idea that they're going to go out and find some GM that's going to guarantee uh, championships coming to Portland because this guy's such a genius. Well, one, he's either already at a place, right? Because he has a great job, because he's already proven he's a genius, or he's just, or he's just a guy who is under the radar, and we just don't know about him yet. Well, that could be your own in-house guy. For all we know, Joe Cronin is the next GM genius. So why run out to try and get "quote unquote" a big name? Just give this guy a chance. He's been there, he's paid his dues, uh, and everyone seems to like him. Just roll with him. So that's the, I, I kind of believe that's what's going to happen. Um, yeah. So anyway, if that does happen. He will have longer than uh, he would if they're trying to look for another GM and trying to replace him to make his mark on this franchise. And the biggest mark anyone can make is through the draft or trading players or signing for agents. Well, he can't sign for agents till the summer. He can't draft to the summer. So he has to make some type of deal now. Now, he told me in my interview with him that the last thing he wants to do is just make a move to make the move. That's some that. You know, sometimes the best thing you could do as GM is nothing, right? Don't just do something to do something. But he does right. have the green light to negotiate deals. He does have to clear them through ownership first. But I would imagine if Cronin and uh, Billups say, yeah, we want to make this deal, is Jody Allen or Burke Coley really going to say no? Are they going to be really in a basketball position to just say no unless there's some kind of financial ramification? So to me, this means Cronin does have the green light to go out and make deals. He and Billups are in lockstep. Supposedly, that's what they both say. And Billups absolutely wants to make changes to this roster. So knowing all that, how likely do you think it could be that they could go out and actually pull off some kind of, and I'm talking, I'm talking about a player who makes an, okay, I would say at least a notch above Powell. Powell is a really good player, but he's not someone who necessarily moves the needle toward contention or even reasonably close to it. He's just a guy, a good role player who does some nice things, but he's not going to tip the scales for you clearly because they acquired him and they haven't gotten any better, right? Someone who's going to take you to a different level, um, that type of player, could it happen? Well, let's think about it this way. The, who are the players that they could acquire that would maybe do that? And there's only maybe one guy that I would consider, and that's Ben Simmons maybe? Is that the only name that we can really think of a guy that they would potentially get? And I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, Simmons is out there. Sabonis from Indiana allegedly is on the block because they're trying to rebuild, which also means Turner's available. Uh, Jeremy Grant from Detroit. He's kind of like a – he's a notch above Powell to me only because he's 6'8". 
Like he's six yeah. eight, so he gives you that length and athleticism that you really don't have on this team. Uh, you know, James Harden. Uh, people are talking about could James Harden be on the move? Well, he's on, if he's on the move, I think it would only be for Ben Simmons. So I don't think that's going to happen. Um, you know, and then of course McCollum and Dame are listed on everyone's list of, of potential trade targets. So there's not very right. many guys like that available. So yeah, the the pie in the sky would guy would be Simmons, really. Yeah, there are some other players that I think would be good for them to potentially acquire. But to your point, I do think that the Blazers are going to give Cronin an opportunity for this. I think that he deserves it. I mean, he's been there for a really long time. He obviously is familiar with so many different people inside the building. Um, and I do, I do definitely think that your point about GMs and getting a GM hire, it's not all that cracked up as it may seem to be sometimes. You know, I think we've seen some of these other teams hire head coaches that are coaches and have GM power. And that has been disastrous, Um, which Chauncey Billups obviously doesn't have with the Blazers, but um, you know, hiring a GM in the NBA is not necessarily always the, the easiest route to just turn things around. Um, You have to be able to draft. I think more than anything, um, drafting and acquiring players is way more important than the name that you get. Like you can find somebody that's, a really good under the radar guy that can do those things and put your team in a better position. Um, so I do think that they'll give Joe Curran a good opportunity um, in terms of them getting somebody that I think they can really put them over the top. I'm not sure if they're going to do that. I, I I would hope that they would make a change to improve the roster because I do think Billups does want something better than what they currently have, but I don't think that they're necessarily going to make a big splash. I think they're going to try to your point, to get a player that's slightly above what Norman Powell um, got them last year, like a player of that mm-hmm. caliber. I think that's the goal. I don't think they're expecting to acquire a superstar or put on a, a block. I don't, I don't expect the Blazers to do a blockbuster trade, but I do think that they will be in the market to get one of those really good, better players that, you know, hopefully, you know, they acquire that person and then Dame sticks around and they're able to get somebody else that they can look back and say, this is a, an early move that is able to help us improve our, improve our roster to where we want it to be. So I think that's where I'm more so looking for them to do is acquire a player that they are going to look back on is like, this is the start. Like this is the start of improving the roster that we right. have kind of needed a little bit. And I think that's the type of player that they're going to go for. So I think a Jeremy Grant or a Sabonis is more likely than like a Simmons or something like that. But, those are the two main people that I think is on the radar for the Blazers is Jeremy Grant and Sabonis, who, I mean, Jeremy Grant, I did not know that he was born in Portland, by the way. Um, but, you know, somebody like him who, yes, he's out for a little bit with this UCL in his thumb and he's going to be out for like six weeks or so. Um, but when he is healthy, like he's a big boost to the Blazers defense, uh, which ranks like in the bottom five of the league. Um, you know, he's averaging 1.1 steals per game and a block. Uh, per contest. And then on the offensive end, um, he has grown like while playing in Detroit. Obviously he's in a bigger role, but, um, you know, he averaged 20, 22 last year, uh, with the Pistons and now this year around 20 points or so. Um, so, you know, he, he's a really good player. And I think that that's somebody that I would target if I were the Blazers, um, because he can, you know, give you something on both ends. And he's not necessarily like a big superstar splash like a Ben Simmons, but he's a, is a good, player that you can add to help build towards hopefully getting a championship roster. I agree with you there. <clears throat> I think, I think uh, Ben Simmons is the target. You should do everything you can to try and make that happen. CJ would be the point person on that. I think, I think at this point, if I'm the Sixers, anyone's better than zero. And Ben Simmons right now for you is a zero, zero game, zero points, zero rebounds, zero interest in playing for you. Uh, zero chill. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's like addition by subtraction, just getting anybody right. in there is good. And if you can add someone with his scoring capabilities to complement Embiid, I think that, I think that makes you not only better than you are with Ben Simmons not playing, but it might make you better with Ben than when Ben Simmons was playing because one of the things that hurt them in that series against Atlanta was having someone who could hit, who could create and hit big shots. And I think CJ would, would give you that type of person. Uh, so bonus, you know, Intriguing big man plays a lot like his dad played. Arvidas, obviously, Arvidas was a huge fan favorite here. To me, if I could get him and I'm moving um, Nurkic, I, I mean, yeah. Oh yeah, I would do all that. day, all day. Yeah. So, so you know, what would it take? Nurkic and I mean, are they going to want? <clears throat> here's the problem: they're going to want either Simons or uh, my man Nasir Little. So, are you? Are they? Is Portland willing to do that? 
to me, I would do Nasir. I I wouldn't do uh, Simons because, but then again, I'm a big Simons guy, and I actually believe that probably Nasir is more important because he plays D. And the last, you know, do you need another small guard when if you make a deal with CJ, you're you're still going to be starting Dame and uh, and Norm, but then you have to find up find a true backup point guard. But you know, to me, he's an all star. Like it, it, if anything, the Blazers can do to get another all star, you do it. And if if it's got to be yeah. Simons and then expiring contracts. I mean, I, I think you've got to consider it. Um, yeah. another guy that intrigues me for Indiana is, uh, Karis Levert. He's not a star, <clears throat> but clearly a really good player. Has 104.7 defensive rating. He's 6'6. Six, six. He gives you length. He can, you know, he, he's not, like I say, he's not a star player, but he can get his shot whenever he wants to through elevation, through athleticism, uh, you know, off the dribble. And that's something that the Blazers do not have on the roster at all. A six foot six guy who can create their own shot and score in a variety of ways and play defense. Nasir can play defense. He's six five, but he can play defense and he can attack the rim. But whenever he tries to dribble and create a shot, it ain't pretty. Like he's just not that, he's just not that skilled of a guy in that yeah. regard. Whereas Levert is. So again, what would I give up for Levert? Well, expiring contract and then they're probably going to want a piece. Maybe they'll just take picks. If they'll just take expiring contracts and a pick, done. I'm all over that, and I'm starting that guy right away. So, and then other guys that I see listed out there: Buddy Hield, redundant, um, uh, Marvin Bagley, too unproven. Like he, oh, he would give you some length and size. You know, again, do I do that for Simons? No, but from a roster standpoint, it probably makes you better right now. I just think Simons has more upside. So like there's these guys out there where you think, okay, yeah, they could help, but what am I giving up and how much do they help? How much do they really move the needle if I'm going to give up on young guys like Nasir and Simons? Right. Well, I mean, if they added Bagley, like you're just adding the former Kings players more to this roster with him and Macklemore. Like you're adding more, you're adding more, bla- uh, you're adding more Kings, like lottery top 10 picks to the roster. And like, <laughs> man, they've done some terrible drafting, man. And that's, <laughs> it's crazy if you have them on like the same roster. But I think, um, I think, man, if they have an ability to require somebody that's an all star player, you're not having to get necessarily a superstar, but if you get an all star player like a Sabonis, for expiring contracts and some draft picks, I think I think you swing that. I think, oh, of course, especially if I think if you add somebody like that, like that, at least gives you something to hopefully build off of in the off season, or um, you know, to continue to at least give you something for Dame to be like, hey, we got we we at least are trying. Here's something that you know we're making a move with to help. Um, I think the other thing that's tough too is like you know most trades that I think most people see for the Blazers are like going to be centered around CJ, right? Like, I think there's a good chance that if they do any type of trade, it's probably going to involve CJ. But there are, but there are uh, Robert Covington and, and Nurk, obviously, because you know, with their aspiring contracts, those are more easier to get rid of because, um, you know, you can just bundle them with some draft picks and possibly get like a good player back for that. So, um, CJ has been on the block, but I wouldn't obviously be surprised if Covington and Nurk are also moved as well. I think, um, especially because I, th- I feel like they are more replaceable than a CJ is. Um, like they obviously have enough scoring, and CJ adds to that. But um, those are the pieces that you would trade to a team that's rebuilding, or even to like a, a team that's trying to revamp for the playoffs and provide those type of you know good role players, good contributors for those types of teams um, that they might be looking for and things like that too. So. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I don't expect them to make a big splash, but if they can get an all-star caliber player, man, I think that they should definitely do that. Yeah. I, another reason they would absolutely trade Covington and Nurkic is that I doubt they have any desire whatsoever to resign those guys. Like, you, you know, Nurkic is yeah. going to want. I think Nurkic has been pretty more, clear that he doesn't want to be back or <laughs> that he's ready to move on. Yeah. Especially because he's not happy right now under Billups either. He wasn't happy under Stotts. He doesn't seem to be very happy right now under Billups. He plays like this. He just seems so laissez-faire, man. Like <clears throat> he makes plays when they're easy to be made. Like if there's an easy play for him, he's gonna make it. If there's anything difficult, it's just it's a toss-up. And sometimes he just doesn't. He strikes me like if he's your backup center, you probably have a really good center, and now you probably have a really good team. If he's your yep. starter, he's gonna hurt you too much to have an overall major impact 
in the game because he's just going to do things that just leave you scratching your head. So I don't believe for a second they want to resign him. So if you don't want to yeah. resign him, then obviously you want to try and get something for him. And so that's why he and Covington have to be like, that's $24 million you have to play with for someone who might be trying to dump someone and then you toss in some sweeteners to make it happen. So those two are very much in play in any type of deal, especially for a rebuilding team, for a contending team that wants another player who can help them. That's, you know, that's CJ, I think. Well, I mean, a contending team could want, you know, the depth of those two, that those two provide, but what are they going to give you? Like they're, they're contending. Right. What are they going to have in the roster and give you that's worth taking unless you just want to take back a pick, which is something that could happen. Uh, I, I saw floated out there something about, you know, Covington to the Kings for Bagley. I would do that. You know, you roll the dice on Bagley, see what he's got. Uh, you give up a guy that maybe you're, you, well, you've pulled off of because he's not even starting anymore. And maybe for the Kings who, you know, head of the Blazers right now, they get, okay, we get a veteran guy. We move on from Bagley. He can help us down the stretch and then we can reevaluate. So things can go a lot of different directions, but for me, man, you know, I'm, I'm gauging things now by my interest level. <laughs> What's going to make me excited to go to Moda, you know, when they're at home, you know, for three or four nights in a week, like this past week, the only reason I was excited to go this week was to see Booker. He didn't play to see Morant. He didn't play. And then I'm looking forward to seeing LaMelo tomorrow if he plays. Other than that, I just knew what it was, what it was going to be. The same old Blazers, the way they've been playing, bad defense. Dame can't shoot. They're going to fall apart in the end. And that's what they've been doing. So for me, Ben Simmons moves the needle. If they trade for Ben Simmons, I'll be at the Moda Center at noon every day waiting to get in, <laughs> all excited to cover the games. Uh, because man, it's just, it's getting to be a little bit of drudgery at this point, And that just comes with the job. But I, I just really hope they can try and pull off something to get Ben Simmons. That would change everything. Well, let me say this, Aaron. I, I, I feel your pain, but I feel your pain for one main reason. I covered the Bucks when they won 15 games. <laughs> See what I'm saying? That was horrible, wasn't La- it? The worst season in franchise history with Larry Drew as their head coach. And I'll tell you something. It was painful. But they, But there were like... There were like a few highlights in it that got me a little bit excited, mainly, you know, some Greek kid that, you know, had a few flash plays and went on to win two MVPs and uh, being a, a finals MVP and, you know, things like that. But th- <laughs> there was, there were small like glimmers. Like it's rough, right? And I get that this time, like the Blazers right now, they have 11, they have 11 wins, right? On the season? 11 and 18. Yeah, you're almost you're almost you're almost better than the Bucks that I had to cover, right? We they had 15 wins the whole season. Um, I will say like it it is very tough to watch a horrible team, but this season is the time that you will look back on in a few years, hopefully when things turn around, and you will laugh at and you will enjoy these moments because you get to look at how bad the team used to be. No, and a lot, no, of, the, and a lot of the things I'm telling yeah. you, there there is a bright <laughs> spot here. There are things no. that you are gonna look back on, like. Like Simons, you're going to be looking back on him in a few years, and hopefully he develops and becomes like a. I think he could become a really good player in the league. That you're going to look back and be like, man, I remember those early years of him, right? Like this, like this. There are some positives to this, and the Blazers are almost, you know, f- almost like what four games away, four wins away from being better than what I had to sit through as a Bucks reporter and covering them for 15 games with one okay, season. Well, of I'm going to sign you up as my life um, coach if this goes south, because you can talk, you can I, talk me through this. I can help you all through <laughs> this. And if there are Blazers fans listening to this and they need some help, they, if, if I need to be a therapist for Blazers fans throughout this year, I am here. There's nobody more qualified than I think me right now to be able to help with this transition. Um, I've had to experience it and see 15 games for a whole year, but, um, but there are positives to this. Like it's frustrating and there are like some, some rough times, but there are little things to, to take from this to hopefully in a few years, it'll grow to, to be some great success for them. Okay. Well, I appreciate the pep talk. Um, I'm not buying it right now, but we may have to have another session <laughs> down the line <laughs> and maybe it'll click eventually. Uh, one thing, the last thing I want to touch on before we, we close this out, uh, you know, Chauncey Billups, rookie head coach, um, you know, the, the hope was that he was going to turn around the defense that hasn't happened. That he was going to no, bring – yeah, he was going to bring accountability, which he has. I mean, he's benched some guys. Uh, he took Roko out of the starting lineup. He benched him and Nurkic at the, in the fourth quarter of a game. They didn't, they didn't play at all. So he's, he's starting to make some moves in that direction. Um, but, you know, do, do you feel he bears any of the the blame for what's going on? Or is this just a bunch of different situations that are beyond his control? 
I think it's just a bunch of different situations. Like he didn't really construct this roster. Um, I think that you know every coach has a vision for the things that they want to be able to do. You know the plays they want to run, the types of guys they want on the floor, and things like that. Um, they they all have their vision, and I don't think that you know obviously it's just his. This is just his first offseason. It's just his first season. I don't think he's had the time to really craft the roster and craft things the way that at least that he wants to do it. It still might fail for all that we know, but it is at least better for some coaches to at least you know get the players that they want or get the different talent and the and the things of that nature that they are looking for. And if it fails, it fails. But at least they're going about it the way that they want. Um, so I think that he's just kind of just gutting it through with what he can right now, what he has. Um, but I think, you know, they're going to try to hopefully make some moves at the trade deadline to improve things. And then next, next offseason, I think, is when we can kind of hopefully get a better sense of the vision that he's hoping to get uh, with the guys on the roster and the players that he wants to get. I agree. You know, I, I'm sure he's doing some things that a rookie head coach with limited experience, you know, probably normally does that, that you know, while he's feeling his way through this thing. And plus, he was learning this team. And like, like you said, it's not his roster. Uh, you know, do I think he could have done anything to this point that would change where they are? I don't know. Like, I just, you know, someone mentioned to me how, you know, I, I doubt Billups is going to outfox other coaches right now. And that's probably true, but what's he going to outfox him with? His best player is brutal. His second best player right now is out. Prior to that, the best player was out. Uh, you've got guys on his team that simply do not fit what he wants to do that need to absolutely be moved. So he's kind of in a situation where he would just have to be an absolute genius to maybe navigate through this to keep them above 500 at this point. Um, and I don't know how many coaches out there are, are, are geniuses like that. Even the greatest coaches of all time, or the coaches who are considered the greatest coach of, coaches of all time, were stacked with a, you know, were stacked. They either had Magic and Kareem, or they had Bird and McHale, or Jordan Pippen, and then Shaq and Kobe, or Duncan and, and Rob. You know, what I mean, they, they, there aren't many coaches out there who can claim that they took a team like this and, and made them really good with, with their best player being this horrible. So, you know, again, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not saying he's been a plus coach this season in his first year ever, but he, he to me, he's not the problem. Like there's just way right. too many other things going on with this team. So we'll see. We'll see. Right. Like it's not necessarily right. cutting him slack necessarily, but he does have a unique situation. He has a, a weird situation that he kind of inherited in and he's had some bad luck with the injuries to Dame, to CJ and things like that. Just the roster, obviously, you know, Neil getting fired at the beginning of the season, <laughs> um, kind of probably changed things up for what he was maybe envisioning and things like that too. So, um, he hasn't necessarily got like, you know, slack cut from his plate, but he's had a unique and a little bit of a challenging situation to start his coaching career, but that will hopefully change within the next few months when he gets more acclimated to the guys he can get in who he wants to this roster and hopefully change things around. Yeah. I, I, sometimes I think about uh, what Terry Stoss is doing. If Terry Stoss is somewhere, like, <laughs> I mean, you could say he wouldn't be that petty. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think most competitive people can be very, very petty. Um, and Stoss yeah. just has to be just laughing his ass off. I mean, he was the scapegoat, right? He wasn't holding people accountable. He didn't make them play better defense. And I remember coming on this podcast with Freeman, and I had the defensive ratings for all the players on the team. And I'm like, if you look at each individual player, their individual defensive ratings are similar to those of the players on the other five worst teams in the league. And what people were trying to say to me is like, yeah, but that's part of part of that is because of how they play their defense. And um, everyone impacting each other and then Stoss not holding people accountable and blah, blah, blah. This team can be better defensively. And then they had this one stretch at the end of the season where they won 10 out of 12. And the collective defensive rating of the starting five was like 104. Their net rating was like plus 13 or something like that. But I remember at the time thinking, okay, well, that's interesting. But they also played a lot of teams during that stretch who were without their best player. Like Sabonis didn't play for Indiana. Uh, Mitchell, I think, missed for Utah. And then they played the Nets without Durant and one of the other two. Um, and it was just like these games where they won, but the, the other team didn't have their best players. Okay, fine, whatever. So you come into this season and there's zero evidence that that starting five is even close to a team that would have a 104 rating, um, or a unit, I should say. So Stoss was made the scapegoat. Uh, Neil O'Shea fired him and famously said, it's not the roster, <laughs> which meant it's the coach. It's just, yeah, it's just ridiculous when you really think about it. Well, he, I mean, he should he shouldn't have said it that way. I think I think yeah he should he definitely two conflicting shouldn't have said things it that can, 
two conflicting things can be true. Like Stotts was not known as a very def- good defensive coach. He didn't right. do a good job with accountability. These things are facts. That doesn't mean he had a good de- defensive roster, right? Right. And so his roster my, was still was not good too. Yeah. Yeah, because you still were starting three guards, and only one of them ever had a history of playing really good defense. The other two did not. So how are you supposed to defend in a league where size does matter, length and athleticism matter? How are you supposed to have a good defensive team with those two unless you're really supported by a major front, you know, line behind them um, who, who are getting it done? And that starts with Nurkic. Nurkic used to be a really good rim protector. Now, eh, you know what I'm saying? It's like, eh, he's all right. Covington's a very good help defender. He's like a good – Covington's like a good safety in football who's smart. He gets to his zone. He reads the, the plays. He's able to, to make plays on the ball and do things like that. But if you ever drop him in, in the box and put him in man-to-man, he's roasted. Because he can't cover man to man. He's just not good at that. He's just toast, right? So there's a liability there. Like there's just all these things that's wrong with this roster that Billups sees now. And I think that Stott saw. And I think that maybe the only person who didn't see those faults were all Olshay. And so that's why I think Stotts is somewhere just laughing his ass off. Oh, you, you blamed it all on me. You fired me. You got your guy at coach, you know? And oh, look at you now. You're 11 and 18. Oh, and by the way, last thing you got fired. <laughs> Yeah, I imagine I imagine the day when Neil got fired that Terry Stotts was lighting a cigar of some sorts, um, possibly <laughs> drinking a good tequila. <laughs> I, I, I see Terry Stotts as surprisingly like a good tequila man. Um, I do. I, I, I see him probably you know, having a nice glass. Yeah, cognac um, or even or nice tequila. I, I imagine that he had a very good evening when that went down. Okay, now I'm I, okay, I, I'm going to say I'm going to say this though cuz it's my understanding they were friends. Like they they did have a really good relationship and that and that uh so although I think Stotts might find pleasure in watching the team struggle, I'm not going to say he necessarily found too much pleasure in Olshay being fired unless he felt like Olshay treated him like garbage too. Anyway, a lot of speculation there, but I I'm, I'm going to stop short of saying that he would absolutely be happy to see Olshay, what happened to Olshay? Because I think they were at least legitimately friends at on some level. Yeah. But as far as where the team is, yeah, and he has he has a right to maybe smirk a little bit if he is, you know. Anyway, all right. Anything else you want to add before we sign off here? No, this is fun. Uh, thanks for having me on. Always, I always love talking about you know hoops and the Blazers and. Um, getting more acclimated here too has always been good. So I appreciate you having me on. Oh, thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. I appreciate it. All right. That's it for this edition of the Blazer Focus Podcast. Be sure to click the subscription button and leave us a positive review. We will appreciate that. And we will be back soon, hopefully, maybe to talk about some victories. That'd be nice. Thanks for listening. <laughs>